Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Chelsea Podcast. It's me, Andy Saunders. I'm stepping into the hot seat this week. Kerry isn't here. He's ensconced in his country manor. Um, but with me to uh, discuss a couple of uh, interesting games uh, are some good friends of the podcast who've uh, been on many times before. Uh, we'll start with Liam Toomey, ESPN's uh, Chelsea correspondent. It's a pleasure to be back. It's been, <laughs> it feels like it's been quite a while, actually, although... I mean, even a week is a long time at Chelsea these days. <laughs> it is, very much so. And, uh, and also with me uh, is an uh, international uh, chef and, uh, and gastronome himself, uh, Chef Alan Bird. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What uh, are you up to these days, Alan? Because um, last between... time we spoke, you were going to be in the film business and do that kind of stuff. Is Picked that up an award. Did you? Yeah, for a short film. Okay. London Film Festival. All right. Um, I helped produce the film um, in one way or another. Uh, a charity film, and we picked up um, best short film. Oh, brilliant! So you um, didn't just make the sandwiches for it; you actually were no, involved in the. No, I was I was involved in the fundraising. Amazing! Oh, um, yeah, it, it won um, a couple of other awards, and it's now released. It's a charity um, awareness film uh, for the male cancer awareness campaign. Oh, that's something you've done before, though. You've been involved yeah. in that sort of stuff. Yeah, before, so I'm an ambassador for the charity. Yeah, so that's right. Very proud of the fact that it's um, brilliant. Oh, congratulations! Nice. What else you got to? Cooking. Cooking, generally. Occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and how about yourself? Are you just uh, immersed in, in, in Chelsea, Liam, or have you got uh, stuff happening outside of that? Or? If Ka- Callum Hudson-Odoi scratches his nose, I've got to write a story on it at the moment. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, January is absolutely crazy um, you know, because you've got games every three days. How, look, but you've of, got all the transfer stuff. A lot as of well. people talk about about the media and the and, and journalists and and you know and, and the stuff you write. I mean, how much under how much pressure are you to write stuff all the time? And does that sometimes lead less experienced journalists to let's not put too fine a point on it, make stuff up? Um, in my experience, journalists making stuff up is not very common. Um, usually. You know what you might have is is journalists taking flyers on certain things that they've been told, but maybe haven't double checked. But you know, for the most part, we what what we what we put out there is sometimes we'll be fed false information. That's much more common actually than making stuff up because there's a lot of people who will tell you lies right. in the football world. But um, yeah, as to the pressure element of it, at this time of year, there there always is, especially because I mean, if you know, is that because of transfers or is it because of well, the, the fixtures or you know, I mean, you know the way football fans are and you know the way Chelsea Twitter is. There's almost more interest in who could be coming to the club or who could be going out than there are in the actual game sometimes, mm. you know, especially if it's not a particularly big game. It's all, there's the whole hashtag announce Fekir subsection of, of Chelsea <laughs> Twitter that have been, they've, they've had a bit of a rough six months because that's gone very quiet. What but, I um, love about Chelsea Twitter is, the, 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 particularly the official account, the official can count, can put 
anything up there. So they did, mm. for example, like, uh, please watch our Holocaust awareness film, a very serious tweet about a very serious subject, and, and about a thousand comments underneath it basically going, announce Higuain! Mm. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's inappropriate. Mm. It is relentless, it's and relentless. you must get that as well on your Twitter feed. Oh, yeah, so. every time we tweet anything, it's any update on this, and it's always about a transfer. Right. Um, so, I mean... I, I, you know, I do Can you like... give us any, any inside information <laughs> that you haven't written already? or Not at the moment. Are uh, you confident Chelsea are going to bring in any other players? Or? Not confident, no. I think it's quite quiet. I'd be surprised at this point if they signed a midfielder. Because it, that, I mean, that was what it was looking like at the start of the month. Sarri came out and said he wanted two players. One of them's arrived, Higuain. Mm. The other one would, would be the Fabregas replacement. But I, I, you know, they, they balked at the price that Zenit were asking for for Leandro Paredes. I think rightly so, because £35 million for a player who's going to be backing up Jorginho is probably not the smartest idea, especially mm. when you've got young players. Isco who could around on positions. the kind of peripheral vision of things. I mean, there are certain na- big names like that that are always mentioned with a, a load of clubs as soon as they're maybe slightly unhappy at a big club. But you, you find players of that stature very rarely change hands in January. No, you know, is it, the January market's a bit of a funny one. It's usually mm. clubs that something they've either not planned the season well enough, or something has gone wrong for them. Like it's been unforeseen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I think you have seen a correlation in the last few years between Chelsea being a bit more active in January and maybe the the pre-season planning not being as good as it has been. Do we need more midfielders at the moment? We seem to have a sort of a surfeit of midfielders mm. at the moment that could step in and do a job. Well, Sarri's argument is that. For that Jorginho role, for the way he wants to play, he's used the term specialist. Yeah. Jorginho's a specialist. He, see, he plays the game in a certain way and he thinks they need a similar type of midfielder to come in and do that job. He thought Fabregas was the only one equipped to do it. He tried Ethan Ampadu there against Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, said he didn't actually do that well. I, I can understand that because watching him, I think he, he looked like he was still very much learning it and he's mm. clearly never played it before. I think it's a really complex role and I, I think a lot of, and I don't want to patronise Chelsea fans because it can be very frustrating to watch Jorginho passing it short, passing it sideways, passing it back, but it's a very specialist complex role in that Sarri system, isn't it? You know, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast about he's there for the assist before the assist. He's not there for He's the, not there for assists. He's, I not, mean, he's not there to kind of like quarterback like, you know, as directly as say Luis or Fabregas was. He's there to set up the assist yeah, essentially yeah. and to keep the tempo flowing yeah, I've said that a few times he this season he is the system he yeah. is Sarri's system and he works as well as the system does and if it, if he's not you know jumping out of the page at you or, or maybe not playing as well as he was earlier in the season it's because Chelsea around him aren't executing mm-hmm. the system as well as they were early in the season the midfielders he's giving the ball to probably aren't doing quite as much with it as they as they should be or it's getting to the front when you know when they had Morata or Giroud and it's not going in. Or Alan, are you, really a, are you a Sarri ball disciple? Um, I don't even know what that's, that means. <laughs> are, are you a, are you a believer in Maurizio Sarri? Are you going to give him time? Because a lot of people are saying, well, look, you know, he's 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 a busted flush. You know, he's six months in. We should probably get rid of him. I mean, I mean, nonsense. But you're not you're not as hyperbolic uh, as no, that, are you? No, I've not made my mind up either way. Um, I just like going to watch my team and see how they perform. Um, I think it's interesting what you're saying about um, Giorgino. I think once, um, if a team works out that he's still the heartbeat of the side, if they concentrate on closing him down, then we don't play as well. Um, That's been obvious in games before. That's a really Um, interesting point, isn't it? Because in the Spurs game at Wembley, they stuck Dali Alley on him and neutralised him. Of course, they didn't have Dali Alley in the the game uh, on Thursday. Um, And and nobody really shut him down. And it was, you know, it was... uh, you know, he was much more influential in that game. In fact, I would say he had a shot of man of the match in that game. I thought he was really, really good in that yeah. game. And I think that's he's that type of player. I can understand why people get frustrated with him because he's either brilliant or he he doesn't go missing, but he does his job quietly and people don't give him the credit for what he does in that game. There is a there is a section of Chelsea support that will use the word forward yeah. a lot, you know, yeah. and it's well, you're not going to get that under Sarri. Sarri's not going well, to to ping it forward, you know. He's going to no. build, you know. He's going to build forward, and sometimes, you know, you, you, I think you're absolutely right to say he is the system. He's the hub. He's the one that everything mm. goes through, that everything orbits around. And if the if the planets that are orbiting aren't aligned, yeah. then then it's not going to be effective. Yeah. Well, the one thing I would say is that. 
Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're not going to be a Route 1 team ever under no. Sarri, but if you watched your, uh, Sarri's Napoli, it was much like Klopp's Liverpool, actually. Klopp is the coach that Sarri considers himself most close to, style-wise, mm. in the Premier League. And it was like short, vertical passes, really quick. They'd cut through you with three or four really incisive passes, and they'd be in. Chelsea aren't doing that because he didn't have the time to coach the system properly to everyone before the football actually yeah. started. He didn't even see Eden Hazard and Ngolo Kante till after the Community Shield. So he no. had barely any training time. They've had a game every three days since. So they, you can't really do it during the season. It has to be done beforehand. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't quite have the personnel in every position either. So what does he need? It's a Well, I mean, he needs a, a striker who can score goals. I mean, that, it's un, I think as obvious as it is, it's also quite underrated how much that would have changed the perception of this season. If they... If there were more games in which Chelsea had scored from the first chance they'd got, teams would have had to open up against them. So many games would have looked so different mm-hmm. because yeah. there have been so I many totally games this season that, when other teams have been able to sit deep for 60, 70 minutes. Yeah. And that's when Chelsea have to go sideways and they look really slow and uninspired. Whereas if they had someone to get that goal. So that's obviously the key need. But I think they need a, a third midfielder who's more of a goal threat than Kovacic is next there to are no Jorginho goals in that and Kante. No. There needs to be more goal threat and more creative threat from that third midfielder. And then you've got to maybe make the argument that are the fullbacks ideally suited to what Sarri wants to do? I mean, Alonso is a, is a very good footballer, not in great form at the moment, but he's a little bit slow. Alan, is, is Emerson hard done by, not getting more games? Well, um, I haven't seen enough of him to be able to comment, but I read all of the stuff on Twitter and social media. You know, people giving uh, Alonso a hard time. I, I love Alonso. I think he's a great player. Yes, he's going through a bad patch. Um, Emerson coming in, if he does a great job, I'm equally happy. I've got no loyalty to any particular player. As long as we're playing well, um, you know, and the way that we, we play, it is about that possession game. We've got to hold on to the ball. Um, those players also need to get forward. Um <laughs> Years ago, when we used to watch uh, Ray Wilkins, it was always uh, complaints about him passing sideways, and we seem to do that now. Um, but equally, when we do play well, you know, it's exciting to watch. It's funny, isn't it? You look at players like Mikel, who at the time when he was at Chelsea was always accused of passing sideways, slowing the game down. And but now it's like, game, do you remember Mikel? How brilliant he was! What a look. <laughs> Why hasn't he had a statue? Yeah. You know, we do tend to look yeah. back in rose-coloured spectacles at Absolutely, some of these players. Yeah. We, you know, Matic was another one when he left and went to Man United. It was like, how brilliant was Matic? You know, why have we let him go? And it was like the abuse that guy got when he played for Chelsea was like. You know, we do, we do, you know, we, we, we sometimes don't know what we got until they're gone. Uh, absolutely. You know? and, I, and, and I think Jorginho has a case of being one of those players if the system clicks in the way that I think you're absolutely right. It's a really good analysis, Liam, of, of, of what his role in the team is. Let's talk about um, two cup games in the last seven days. Firstly, the magnificent uh, uh, Tottenham game the second leg of the semi-final of the Carabao Cup, uh, 2-2 at full-time on aggregate, and then we go and win 4-2 on penalties. Um, Maurizio Sarri made three alterations to the side that started at Arsenal. Uh, Emerson, who we've just discussed, came in in defence at left-back. Ross Barkley came into midfield. Olivier Giroud uh, came in up front. Alonso, Kovacic and Willian all made way. Hazard moved from the false nine role that he'd been playing into the left wing again. Um, And Tottenham had no Kane, no Ali, no Son. So when you saw that team, how did you feel on the night when you saw it? Were you, were you confident on the night? Um, I don't think there's ever a case of being uh, t- overconfident, especially when you're playing Spurs. Um, but, yeah, that was a strong side. You know, a very strong side. Couldn't complain at all, especially with the result. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Sarri picked the right team uh, for the game. They needed to be fast, they needed to be mobile, and they needed Hazard to be Hazard. And, you know, we've had plenty of evidence over the last few weeks that I think him as a false nine can work in a vacuum. But if he doesn't want to play it, it can't work. He has to want to he has to want it to succeed. And in recent games, you've seen he's just been bored of it going everywhere else. And it kind of compromises the whole system because he he goes everywhere else. Exactly. I asked Sarri about this a little while ago and he because I remember early in the season, he set him a 40 goal target, said he wanted to focus on the last 20 yards of the pitch. And I basically asked him in sort of coded terms, well, what happened to that? <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he said, it's impossible for him to stay in the box. He basically said, I've given up telling him 
because for him to be him, he needs to be allowed to play he, the way he wants to play. And that's what we saw against Spurs. He was back on the left wing. He had what he felt was that focal point with Giroud. Who, and Giroud's a good type of striker to make the people around him better anyway. And Hazard was... I thought Kante actually was the best player on the pitch. I thought Kante was superb. He was brilliant. Yeah. But, How many times but Hazard, said that before? <laughs> but Hazard being Hazard takes Chelsea up another level mm. going forward and, and that made the difference. Just about, I thought Spurs gave it a real good go and when they changed system it was a little bit worrying how unprepared Chelsea were for that not, not noted for his goals N'Golo Kante he scored four goals in 30 appearances for Chelsea in all competitions this season that's as many as he's netted in his past three seasons in England combined four in 129 appearances so it was nice to see him it's good strike get a go- as well good strike they've got two deflections on the way through but yeah. you know we'll take it <laughs> um it's uh, it's interesting that Chelsea had 21 shots in that game, five on target. Spurs only had five shots, so that really was a quite an offensive, aggressive mm. performance, wasn't it? And that was that was evident. I mean, I want to pick up as well on the atmosphere in the ground because Brilliant. there's been some um, you know sort of criticism of the atmosphere at home, and a few people have kind of blamed that on some of the external issues that've been happening at Chelsea and 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 not being able to allow. I mean, that didn't seem to be a factor at all on Thursday. The place was rocking from Absolutely. the minute. I mean, obviously, Tottenham had a big uh, allocation, so they were able to add to the atmosphere. You know, I think games are always better under lights, you know, in terms of atmosphere. But, you know, all credit to the Chelsea fans. That was a, an amazing atmosphere and not one mention of the Y word as well, which I think is Fantastic. huge credit yeah. to them. And I think Absolutely. people are starting to really buy into the idea that, you know, the club don't want this, the players don't want it, you know, most of the fans don't want it. And, you know, they're leaving at the turnstile so I can only say credit to the Chelsea fans for that yeah great I mean you you, you do need you, history tells us you kind of need hatred for a good atmosphere for a, well like I'm a, all for, for hatred amazing Lord knows no. do I participate in the hatred <laughs> but obviously as long as it stays within the bounds and I thought the, the way the stadium was set up with Tottenham with the Spurs fans having the whole shared big allocation and you know the Matthew Harding stands usually the loudest part of Stamford Bridge anyway you had the two ends of the ground roaring at each other yeah. all yeah. game. And that's, I think, what some of the best stadiums do. Yeah, and you, you know that you're going to get a good game when you're playing a, a, a London derby. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the Champions League nights. You know, the atmosphere, you know, is going to be a, a good atmosphere to, to go with the game. And thankfully, it was a great game of football to go with it. It really was. Maurizio Sarri is the sixth manager to take Chelsea to a League Cup final, just the fourth to do it in his first season in charge. So we've got to give him credit for that as well. You know, people are, you know, one stick that a lot of people beat Maurizio Sarri with is he's never won anything. Well, hopefully he will. You know, I mean, we've got a big, you know, hurdle to overcome in Man City in in the final. We've already beaten them this season. You know, we've got them in a couple of weeks. That'll be an interesting bellwether of where we are. Mm. Um, But, you know, I think we go into that game confident, don't we? Well, it's a final. I mean, it's, it, they're they're big underdogs because of how good City are, but it's a final. They and they, I mean, already on this run, they went to Anfield and won. Absolutely. Which was, uh, you know, that was a really really tricky game. It would have been easy for Chelsea to. I know they did put out kind of a second string team, but it would have been easy for them to approach it in that mindset as well and think when they encountered a bit of adversity in the game, you know, maybe, you know, it's not going to happen for us this year. It's fine. But instead, you bring Hazard on for the last 20 minutes. He does something amazing and, and wins the game. It's all going to boil down to who's on form, isn't it? Of course it is. One thing, tactics. That, one thing that Sarri had said in the previous game against Arsenal was, and I quote, these players are very or extremely difficult to motivate. Yeah, that was amazing in that press conference. That was well, you were there, were you? Yeah. Well, so give us a little flavour of it. Well, just as soon as he came in, and said, I mean, he always comes in with a translator anyway, just for his own peace of mind. Uh, he understands everything, but just for his peace of mind. As soon as, the tra- as soon as he said, I would prefer to speak Italian because I have a message from my players, you know, you just felt a collective pricking up of the ears in the, in the conference room. Everyone was like, something big's coming. And I was just astonished at how outspoken he was. Um, I mean, he, he has established a reputation with us and with the players, actually, of being a brutally straight talker at times. Do you, you know, like that as a It's fantastic for us. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. Because if you ask him what he'll think, what he thinks of a player, he'll give you positives, negatives. Too, too honest at times, and you feel like if results start going against him, it'd be very easy for him to rub players up the wrong way. And I'm sure he has 
to greater and lesser degrees at times. Set the mark a little bit in that Arsenal press conference. You know, that's that's quite a um, that's quite a statement. These players are extremely difficult to motivate. It puts a lot on the players. I mean, that was a terrible performance against but, Arsenal. But I think the players need that sometimes. Everyone needs a kick up the backside, don't they? You're not. You don't subscribe to the school of that stuff. Needs to be kept behind closed doors. Well, he he still kept it behind closed doors. What what he was saying was that there's clearly a problem. We you can see it. I can see it. But I don't know what the answer to it is at the moment. So that's what he's trying to work out. Yeah. And I think he had the desired effect because of the way that we played against Spurs. Well, and the one and the one thing as well is that he didn't single out any players. You know, that's the kind of thing that Mourinho did towards the end of his time, and yeah. that's what breaks the dressing room. When, Absolutely. When, yeah. when players feel like you're picking on someone in public rather than in private, then that you know that's really toxic. But if you if you basically, you know, have a big pop at all of them we'll as a that, group. We'll leave that to the fans on Twitter to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. When he keeps getting a reaction, they haven't lost back-to-back games yet. So No, I think it's fantastic the way that he managed to get his point across without digging any individuals out. They know they are. Hmm. Um, other talking points from the game? I mean, is there anything else that we need to, you know, sort of, you know, sort of observe about that particular game? Well, I just think you can't underestimate how much pressure they were under going into it. Uh, having said what he'd said against Arsenal, that was the first sort of Sarri crisis week, media-wise. You know, all the focus was on Chelsea, how they'd react. And Tottenham's injuries actually made it even more pressurised because everyone yeah. felt like they should win. Mm. This was a, a decimated Tottenham team. And they, you know, they, they were given a, a tough time. London derbies are never easy. Tottenham are a good side regardless, but they, but what, they got it done. given to the side, you know, going into uh, the FA Cup game, again, it could have been one of those games where we suffered a you know, hangover from the game that we'd already played, but it was still a great performance. OK, it was against Sheffield's Wednesday, um, but I thought the, you know, the players played fantastic. Um, the atmosphere was a bit flat, but... Kind of After the, Sheffield Wen- yeah. the Sheffield Wednesday fans were brilliant. Yeah, they, yeah, the Wednesday fans. They were, really were amazing. Mm. I mean, they did have the whole of the, you know, yeah. of the shed end. Um, you know, and and I thought there would be a reaction from the children. I mean, unfortunately, I think with FA Cup games, there brings a lot of kids there. There's a lot of families yeah. there. It's it, it's not your normal kind of hardcore season ticket holding. You know, sort of die-hard fans, really. I mean, for whatever reason, you know, it just is always the case. And the fact there were big gaps, weren't there, up in the. Uh, in in the gods in the uh, in the East stand um, thirty seven thousand there on Sunday which is you know low for us that's mm, that is what's low, that five thousand short of yeah. capacity I mean that's I think because the TV as well and the TV bit. so yeah. there's lots of reasons behind it but you know two and two, the kickoff time well the, uh, yeah six o'clock on a Sunday whose idea it was, was that atrocious TVs atrocious. <laughs> I mean not not so bad for us but poor Sheffield Wednesday fans I mean yeah. you know on a Sunday night yeah, you're going to miss Country File you're going to miss Antiques Roadshow <laughs> <laughs> it's a shocker isn't it. <laughs> Sarri made eight changes to the side which beat Tottenham in the uh, Carabao Cup with only uh, Dave and uh, Tony Rudiger and Ross Barkley retaining their places. Uh, Caballero started in goal. Uh, Marcus Alonso, a sub on Thursday, came in at left-back. Ethan Ampadu started in midfield while William and Callum Hudson-Odoi supplied the wits in attack. N'Golo Kante and Eden Hazard were not part of the matchday squad, although there was a place on the bench for Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who hadn't featured since the third round FA Cup win over Nottingham Forest due to injury. And I suppose the big story of the night was the inclusion of Callan Hudson-Odoi, which I think shocked, well, certainly shocked me. Did it shock you a little bit after all the talk in the uh, papers about handing in a transfer request? Well, it was a bit of a surprise to see him starting because... I mean, we'd all we'd all heard on the Saturday night that was when it all broke that that he'd handed in the transfer request on Saturday. And how much validity is that? Did he? Actually, no, he did. He, he did. did. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you don't know when to separate the rumor from the truth. Sometimes it's like no, he did. I mean, uh, he's made it clear the whole time without publicly saying it because he can't. But his, you know, the people around him and 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 everything, you know, it's been clear the whole month that he sees at the moment he sees his future at Bayern Munich. And so it's up to Chelsea to react to that. And, well, and that, so that was the card he had to play with going, going into kind of the final week of the window. And now Chelsea have rejected that transfer request. And so. have they rejected yeah. it? Yeah. And is that, is that, have you had that officially from the yeah. club? Yes. Well, not, not, on the re- not on the record. Not on the record. I mean, we've, you know, sources, ev- everyone, sources everyone has heard the same thing, which is the club has rejected. And Sarri confirmed today that the club had told him um, last yesterday that not only will Hudson Odoi not be moving in this window, but their stance is that he probably won't be leaving in the summer either. Yeah, I read that today. 
be very interesting to see what the boy's reaction to that is. Mm. I mean, you know, whether he um, potentially go on strike, couldn't he? To force a move. I mean, not now because he's only got two days left. I, I don't get the sense that he will. And I think Sunday's performance was quite indicative of that because he had so much noise going on around him. He didn't know what kind of reception he'd get from Stamford Bridge. And well, you, you said know, you heard some negative reactions. I did, yeah. Um, in the Matthew Harding upper, yeah. I didn't hear anything around me, but um, you, you might have just had a couple of anom- well, anomalies around idiots, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was being kind. Yeah, um, and they were, you know. I mean, I said on Twitter. I have to. I have to say, I said on Twitter that, you know, frankly, as soon as a player hands in a transfer request, and if they're serious about seeing it through, you know, for me, they cease to be a Chelsea player because we move on. But you know, if the fact of the matter is that they then reject that. And he stays and yeah. he performs and he, you know, seizes the opportunity to, you know, to be professional and take his opportunities when they come. Then I'm, you know, then, then I'm, 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 you know, he can come back with open arms as far as I'm concerned. Well, but you don't write someone off. No, you know, to it, balance it out, there, there was an awful lot of fans saying we want you to stay. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that's a general, his performance I, I want showed to, me that he wants to impress whether that's his potential employer or his current employer. But either way... He played fantastic. Is there is there, more, is there more basic, you know, which is he just wants to play football. Yeah. You know, he's 18 he's years 18 old. He's 18 years old. Yeah. I did say as well that we can't let 18-year-olds dictate dictate the, 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 the agenda. You know, I, I think once we start letting 18-year-olds dictate the way we conduct our transfer business and the way we do things, I think we've got a problem. So this is quite a huge statement for the club to be basically saying, on the one hand, we want you to stay. We believe in you. You will get opportunities. We've said that we will back you and that we, you're in our plans and we will prove that over the next whatever's left of the season and, if necessary, the following season. It's also saying to the youth team, there is a pathway. We are demonstrating to you that we will take players and we'll create a pathway into the first team, which is a big criticism. And it's also saying to other clubs around Europe, you cannot come in and cherry-pick our players you know, if we don't want you to. So on, on a lot of levels, it's a big statement, isn't it, Liam? It is, but I also feel like Chelsea are doing all of this from a fundamental position of weakness mm. because... They're on the back foot. hudson Adoy has the leverage. He has 18 months left on his contract. He's in the same position as Eden Hazard, you know, and Eden Hazard has all the power in his situation. If they don't sell him this in this window, which they, they've said they won't now, um, they essentially have four months to to change his mind about where his future lies because at the moment... He sees his future at Bayern Munich. They've obviously, big charm offensive, been promising him the earth, promising him the, the number 10 shirt. You know, you're the heir, you're the heir to rip the Ribery Robin era. Mm. And, you know, he, Chelsea have to provide a pitch that rivals that. And it needs to be more than a pitch. It needs to be tangible evidence in the next four months that he's a big part of Chelsea's present. You, know, you always hear Sarri talk about how he's a big part of the club's future, but he hasn't started him in a Premier League game yet. And that's the kind of thing... Will he start him against Bournemouth or Huddersfield? I don't know, but I think it's really interesting to see. And I, I, I pointedly asked Sarri today in the press conference, um, what can you do to help convince him to stay? And he said, I can't do anything. So I, I think Sarri genuinely see, doesn't see it as part of his job to help convince hudson Adoy that his future lies at Chelsea. And I don't necessarily blame him for that because... If Sarri finishes fifth rather than fourth this season, he's not necessarily going to be at Chelsea. Is this one of the fundamental problems at Chelsea, that the expectations on the manager create a risk-averse environment for managers where you know, it's all very well saying you want me to bring players through for the future, but you're only going to give me two years. And if I bring a youth player in and they don't deliver and I don't win a trophy and I don't get into the Champions League, you're going to fire me. So all that work I did has basically cost me my job. So essentially, I'm just going to pick with tried and trusted veteran players who are going to go out there and I know are going to deliver performances week after week. Sodgy youth policy. We've I mean, seen isn't, it isn't that, time isn't that and time tri- again, haven't yeah, we? Yeah. We've seen it before with Jose. Jose didn't want to use the So can we blame players. the managers? No, we can't blame the managers, but we have to look at the structure of the management um, at Chelsea and how they deal with those youngsters and, and bring them through. But at the same time, right now, they'd be, you know, Chelsea would be on a charm offensive to keep him. Yeah. You know, and the Zolas and, you know, all those, you know, older players will be telling to you, look, bide your time. Yes, it's frustrating that maybe you're not getting the chance you feel you should be getting, but, you know, we've got some big games coming up and, you might be part of that. And you might win some trophies. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go uh, and take a quick break and we'll be back after this. (laughs) 
The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Let's keep talking about Callum just for a little thing before we, before we go and talk about the game a little bit. Callum Hudson Joy, he's been directly involved in five goals in his last five starts for Chelsea in all competitions two goals and three assists. I mean, he clearly has potency that we need. I mean, it's, um, I think, blindingly obvious that he can do a job on, on either side of a front three. And yet there is this persistence with William and Pedro. Now, I like both those players. I'm yeah. certainly not down on either of those players. Pedro, particularly, I think, has had a particularly good season. Um, you know, but he, has to, he does have to compete for his place. He can't just demand to play, can he? These are proven, you know, uh, world-class, uh, international, trophy-winning, serial-winning players. I mean, it's a little bit much for, some, for an 18-year-old to come in and go, give me that place, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, but on the, on the flip side... He only has to be as patient as his options are. You know, he he ha- happens to have another massive European club that are prepared to pay th- upwards of thirty-five million pounds for him. So, just in in realistic terms, the reality of the situation is he doesn't have to be patient because if Chelsea ask him to be patient, he can just go. Well, there's another club that are telling me that I'm going to feature. You know. Much, much more, much more regularly, and of course, Bayern would say that whether they mean it or not, mm. because they're trying to get him. But that's what they're telling him. That's what he, him and his camp are hearing, and that's the that's what Chelsea have to contend with. And I completely understand why Sarri would trust Pedro and Willian more, because for a coach who needs to win now, pedigree tends to win out over potential. But the, the longer term situation Chelsea are in dictates that if they want to keep Hudson Odoi. He has to play in the next four months. Now, how committed are they? Are the club committed enough to tell Sarri that that needs to happen? Or is, is it just going to continue? They'll muddle through to the end of the season and then kind of be backed into a corner all over again. If, um, if, if he does stay at the end of this window and he does play Premier League games, that's a big PR win for the club, isn't it? I mean, in terms of saying... You know, we've done everything possible to keep this boy and yet he still chooses to leave. And I think if he does leave in the summer, that will be on him rather than the club. Mm. That will be, the, that will be well. the mood in the crowd, won't yeah. it? It'll be, come on, you wanted to stay, we played you, gave you the opportunities, offered you a deal, did everything you wanted and you still left. I don't think you can blame Marina for that. No, I think that, yeah, that's definitely part of it. And, yeah. and Chelsea are absolutely terrified of the PR damage of yeah. losing because as bad as you know, selling Kevin De Bruyne was, as bad as losing Mohamed Salah, Romelu Lukaku, this would be a hundred times bigger because this kid has been at Chelsea since the age of eight. Yeah. And he is supposed to be like the homegrown superstar that you set up an academy to find. You exactly. set up an academy to find a player with this upside. And if you have to sell him or he forces his way out, it's just... Uh, yeah. It's, it's a horrible one. So at the very least, they're probably looking to control the narrative, as you say. Controlling the narrative with other youth players, the two other kind of like, I suppose, big, um, you know, sort of youth uh, hopes are Christensen and to a lesser degree, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a bit older now. You're difficult to call him a youth product. At, what is he, 23 now? Isn't 23, he? yeah. You know, so he's not really in the same kind of age bracket as the Callum Hudson-Odoi. But Christensen's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, he was a big hope last season. He's been good when he's come in this year, but not great, in my opinion. He's been okay, you know, played okay against Sheffield Wednesday. He weren't much of a threat, but has had a couple of rickets and a couple of mistakes in him this year. Has said some maybe injudicious things about potentially forcing a move himself, or rather his father and his, his, agent, dad, yeah. <laughs> his agent has. You know, is, do we, how do we feel about Christensen's future at the club? Alan, have you got a I like view on Christensen. that? I thought he had a fantastic game against Wednesday. Um, I thought he's passed to... Um, uh, mine's gone blank. Hudson Adoy. <laughs> Hudson Adoy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought it was a fantastic pass, um, and I thought in general he had a really good game. I was watching him and Ampadu um, in particular to see how they would sort of you know cope with. Ampadu's the other one. Sorry, I missed played. him. Missed him out from the triumvirate of youth. <laughs> yeah, there, so Ampadu's the other one. When you do get a chance to see these players, you want to see how they've developed and how they how well they cope with a, you know a game where clearly there's pressure on them to you know perform. Um, and I like Christensen. I, I, I really do hope that he stays. Uh, and I think a lot of these younger players, they really do need to seek the advice of the older players around them um, to get the right perspective on what their career holds for them. It's easy taking advice off of someone who's holding the purse strings in many ways, like their manager, whether it's their, their father or their brother or whoever. 
you know, it's easy for them to say, yeah, you're going to get big money by going to whatever clubs trying to lure you away. And so am I as an agent's fee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be, I really do hope that we can hold on to those young players. And it's not just, you know, because they've come through the youth system, but I do generally think that they've got a chance of being something, you know, worthwhile and getting into their, you know, prospective um, national side as well. Ampadu's got a swagger about him, hasn't he, that, that is impressive, you know, for someone so young. Um, I, I definitely see him more as a midfielder than a defender, I have to say. You know, I know that he's, you know, been touted as a potential centre-back or full, but I, I see him in a, in a midfield role. But that midfield's going to be tough to get in at Chelsea, isn't it, I think, with the, the level of players that Sarri's looking at or wants in there. So do you see a future for Ampadu at the club? I do, yeah. And if you ask anyone at the club, they'll, they're, they're all saying the same thing, which is they, they all rate him you know, to the sky. They, they, they think he's a really, really special player. It, I don't think I've seen a teenager as unfazed by the prospect of competing against men and up for the physical challenge as much as anything, as well as being technically very good as him. I think from day one, you know, I think he didn't he injure a Nottingham Forest player on his Chelsea debut within about five minutes of coming on. <laughs> he, um, he talks tackle. all the time. He's directing, he's pointing, yeah. he's got leadership qualities clearly out there I mean Chelsea is still trying to figure out his best position I think he can play as a centre-back in a possession team because he'll have the ball a lot and 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 that will suit him and I think what he lacks in height I mean people forget John Terry was only about six foot never saw him lose a header um because he he had that aggression and the timing and and everything else he was and but I think Ampadu is and he's probably still got some filling out to do how old is he is he 18 I think he's 18 Yeah. yeah now um just as quickly say on Christensen, it's another huge dilemma for the club because he is restless now. He, he is currently in the situation that he and his dad were desperate to avoid when he was at, at Gladbach for two years. They wanted assurances that he would play when he came back. Um, and, you know, as long as there were three centre-backs, he was getting his opportunities under Conte. Now they've switched to two. And, you know, you can't fault... Louise or Rudiger for starting they've both been very no. good this season and Louise in particular you see why Sarri loves him because his passing range is outrageous for a yeah. centre-back oh, yeah. and he's also personality-wise maybe Sarri's favourite player in the dressing room like he's, he's his go-to sort of leader him and Azpilicueta are the two leaders which makes it very very difficult for why Christensen to get in then? well I think it's those two and Azpilicueta is the captain so, but and Jorginho's his man on the pitch we hear he's the technical the technical director, yeah. shall we say. Um, but but it's a big, Christensen's a big problem because in the summer they've got a decision to make about Louise. His contract's up, but they're, they're talking about another year. If you give him another year, you're delaying go, Christensen's yeah. development yeah. by another year. I don't think he's going to accept that. So there's some big decisions to be made between the Chelsea want the present or do they want the future? That's what we pay all those um, directors for. <laughs> to make those big decisions. So going back to the game, that we're into the fifth round. Um, you know, I mean, it's a fairly straightforward game. I mean, one, one of the talking points in that game, was, of course, was VAR. Uh, William in the 26th minute um, scored a penalty. But before that, just before that, a couple of minutes before that, Ampadu looked like he'd made a calamitous tackle uh, in our box, went to VAR. Not from and, where I was sitting, it wasn't. Well, you were up in the in the in the. I was in the Matthew Arden up, and I said, "That's not a penalty." Right. Well, and, I was sitting in the. And in I'm, the... I'm thinking, "Come on, VAR, VAR." And then the, the ref did the old box mm. shape, and right. Oh, so you called it straight away? No, oh, from where our perspective, we could see it was right. a great tackle. Yeah. But from a, another angle, well, I was on the side, and the, on the, the ref, other side, I couldn't see it at all. And the ref was behind, so he yeah. couldn't yeah. clearly see. So that's why I called it as yeah. a penalty. But that's. But the stupid thing about VAR is it's not available every game. No, only the Premier League games. Or the Premier League club, sorry, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, even from the press box, which East stand lower, I was sort of behind it and to the right, and it looked a fair challenge to me, even in real time. So Uh, what do we think about VAR? Are we fans? Well, when it goes in your... Uh, your, you know, in your direction because it decision. didn't go, in, it didn't yes, go our way at Wembley but did if it, you're a Sheffield Spurs. Wednesday fan you're not a fan of but, it, but at, at the Spurs game it didn't go in our favour no. because they gave the Harry Kane you know generally I'm not I'm not a fan of the concept of VAR and the, the, the main reason for that well I've got two main reasons for that one is that the flow of the game to me is the most important thing mm. and, and you've currently you've suddenly implemented something that could take a minute two minutes of just people standing around while the referee's got a hand to his ear 
and no one knows what to do. It kills the atmosphere, kills the rhythm of the game. Um, referees, contrary to popular belief, do get most decisions right anyway. We go on and on about the, odd, the ones that they don't, and occasionally they're important ones, unfortunately, but they are human. And the other reason I'm not a huge fan of VAR is because the, the main reason it's been brought in is to stop all the whining yeah. about incorrect decisions. But it won't do that no. because e- even when you have a human looking at a camera from 15 different angles, it's still a human looking at the angle, camera and the rules are interpretive. And you know, there are yeah. very few things that are black and white about a tackle or you know, a collision in football and you're still going to have people disagreeing. You're still going to have people saying, oh, why didn't he consult VAR? It's not, it's Haw- the, it's not Hawkeye, is it? The controversy is just going to be more multi-layered and tedious. You know? Of course, the Sheffield man- Wednesday manager after the game said, well, it should have been a corner. If yeah. it wasn't a, you know, it shouldn't have been yeah, a Yeah, it should have been a corner. <laughs> I know, yeah, no. you, know? <laughs> you know, if you're going to rule it out, then, you know, and he got yeah. the ball, then it's a corner. It's not a drop ball, you know, so... Listen, William scored that um, scored that penalty, um, took it very well, and uh, and also scored in the eighty third minute. That was his fiftieth and fifty first goals in all competitions. Ten of his strikes for the Blues have come in the FA Cup more than any other player for the club in that time. Um, you know, and he gets a lot of hate, William. He gets a he lot does, of, a lot he? of negativity. I just think that, particularly in games like that, he just shows that he is, you know, a cut above everybody else. I think we've all criticised his decision making sometimes, his final product. But you know, I just, I don't, I don't understand the haters. I really don't. He's an exciting player, and any, I think anyone would want that, you know, a player of that type in his side. Um, you know, and it was interesting that he offered the ball to Higuain for the penalty. Yeah, that was interesting, yeah. And Higuain went, no, mate. Not my first touch in Premier League football is not to miss a penalty because the last time I took a penalty, I missed it, you know. <laughs> who do you think I am, Fernando Torres? <laughs> exactly. And then, of course, you know, Hudson-Odoi, who I think up to that point had, had a reasonably quiet game, mm. hadn't really influenced the game, hadn't ripped them to shreds. But, you know, that was a superb takedown. Absolutely. Left the guy on his ass and finished brilliantly and just, you know, showed that little flash of why he's such a special player. Yeah, absolutely. And, in, and a great ball by Christensen. In, His first assist. In different circumstances, that would have been a goal that would have been celebrated by everyone at Cobham. Yeah. You know, it's a great goal made at the academy entirely. Yeah. But because of everything that's going on around Hudson-Odoi at the moment, there's, there's this bittersweet feeling to it where you don't know whether you are actually seeing the future or maybe someone else's future. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that no, you're absolutely spot on. 79% possession Chelsea had in that game <laughs> 12 shots 3 on target you know it was a dominant performance um, you know Chelsea have lost just one of their past 38 home FA Cup matches uh, that terrible game against Bradford in 2014 was the last time uh, we watched and we've got Manchester United next and that'll be a very interesting game won't it because they're on a superb run they're on a uh, you know a real bounce at the moment under uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer post, ma- post Mourinho eight wins in a row eight, eight, wins, in a eight row, wins in a row yeah. of course we are the defending champions of the FA Cup having beaten Man United in the final uh, yeah. last May and so you know it's going to be uh, a really interesting game on the 15th 16th of February isn't it yeah I mean I've already had a couple of United friends getting on to me saying <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this game now I said oh, I wonder why that is <laughs> No, it'd be a, a fantastic game, and um, you know, straight away when the you saw those names going into the hat, I had an inkling we were going to get them. Yeah, um, anyone but Millwall, I was thinking. <laughs> well, but, I know a few people that wanted us to get Millwall. Well, me yeah. not being one of them. The but, Metropolitan Police not being yeah, among them. Yeah, exactly. exactly being another I, one. I've got to say, if you're a Manchester City fan, you've got to be fairly pleased with the way that the cups have shaken out because. <laughs> Chelsea had to take so out the seas are parted for them, haven't they? Chelsea, Chelsea had to take out Liverpool and Spurs to get to the League Cup final to face City, and now City got Burton Albion in the semi, and now <laughs> City will, will maximum only have to play one of the one more of the top six, yeah, if they want to win the FA Cup. So, it, I mean, a domestic treble is theirs, theirs to lose. I think. Well, I mean, obviously the biggest challenge left is the Premier League. But. Quadruple's still on for us. <laughs> we're still in all four we are still challenged well we say if the Europa League counts as one of all four I'm yeah. hoping for the uh, the Champions League playoff between Chelsea and Arsenal Europa League final in Baku <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Baku yeah, yeah me too it's, uh, I went there for the well I went for the Baku game uh, for the uh, Carabag game last year it was quite an experience interesting place isn't it it was um, ok so let's look forward that's uh, 
a good week, uh, progressing in, in two cups. And uh, we've got a big game tomorrow night in the Premier League against Bournemouth away. I say a big game because they're all big games at the moment. They, they, they on paper, don't look like great opposition. But, you know, at the moment, there's three points between us they? and Arsenal. You know, we do absolutely need that Champions League mm. place this year. That's got to be the number one priority. And, you know, we can't take a team with, um, you know, they're with an informed Callum survive, Wilson. And, you know, and, and, you know, some firepower up front and an opportunity to get at us. We can't take them lightly, can we? You're going to that game, aren't you? I am, yeah, I am. I mean, Bournemouth are a dangerous team and they've had some very good performances against Chelsea in the, in the recent past. I think Callum, Callum Wilson is uh, carrying an injury, so he may not... Well, he's, had a, he's had an injury in the last couple of weeks. Has he, yeah. has he exacerbated it? Is that what it is? I, I just think he's, he's a doubt. He's a doubt. He's been a doubt no. for the last couple of weeks. He did his hamstring out. I mean, even if they don't... I think Dominic Solanke's still injured, isn't he? So he's not, oh, he's he's not in play for that. Because well, he was injured when he signed. I, I'm not, I don't he? think he's been back because there would have been a ton of stories written Are about Are you him this watching week, Callum Hudson-Odoi? Yeah. You know, the grass is not always greener. You know, I mean, here's another player that agitated for a move, that got his dream move to Liverpool... You know, and has ended up, you know, at Bournemouth. You know, not guaranteed of a game because they got some decent strikers at Bournemouth. You know, it's I don't know. I think he's a he's a salutary lesson uh, for all young players, Solanke. Well, it just shows I think that there are no guarantees what path you take. I don't necessarily think he made the wrong decision in enforcing his way out of Chelsea. It was un- unfortunate the way it happened because it eventually it basically meant he burned a year of development because Chelsea didn't play him, they didn't loan him because he was in contract dispute and. That's a year of development lost. And then I just think he picked the wrong club because Liverpool, by and large, Klopp is a good developmental coach, but they had so many options. And you're not getting in ahead of Salah, Firmino, Mane. You know, it's just... Coutinho. He he would have done better to join a club like Bournemouth straight out and and give yourself maybe a a bit more of a platform. And then, of course, we've got Huddersfield... Uh, on Saturday, a nice 3 p.m. kickoff on Saturday. For change, once. yeah. Thank you, Lovely. Lord. Um, you know, and they really are struggling at the moment. So, you know, on paper again, I mean, they're going to sit 11 men behind the ball, presumably, and we'll have to break them down and play a lot of sideways football and all get frustrated. But hopefully, you know, Gonzalo will, you know, do his fox in the box trick and, uh, you know, and light up the place and, and, and everything will be fine. So, those two games, you think on paper, they should be reasonably straightforward but not to be taken complacently I, th- I think it's always difficult isn't it when you're playing against two sides that are, you know in the relegation uh, battle um, you've got to watch yourselves you can't take any game for granted especially in the Premier League um, you know Bournemouth have got a great manager he'll know how to organise them yes they've had a, a not a, they've had an indifferent season um, and equally Huddersfield it could be tough against them as well so I don't see any easy games in the Premier League anymore. Absolutely. Well, I think Bournemouth, uh, sorry, just say, I think Bournemouth away is the one to worry about in terms of losing. Yeah. Huddersfield don't score. So no. the, the risk of losing that game should be quite low, but the, the risk of looking like a slow, laboured, uninspired team is quite high because yeah. Huddersfield will put 11 men behind the ball and mm. make it as, as painful as possible. But... That'd be a good test of Higuain. I mean, I thought his his movement was quite good against. Yeah, he got Sheffield himself Wednesday. in the right positions, didn't he? Yeah, I think with the first choice midfield playing, he 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 often made a run and the ball just never came. No, with the right. Ampadu didn't have the confidence to ping it, did he? From well, he, he pinged a few early on. They went out of play, and then yeah. it looked like he grew a little bit tentative. But even the the other guys on the side and and obviously Hazard. Yeah, yeah. you got Hazard. If he's pulling the strings, then you, know, you just I think, the ball, I think you hopefully. know he's going to be in the right place. I you hope know, so. that, that's a good thing. So on on the subject of strikers, before we go to predictions, Alvaro Morata confirmed his move uh, to Atletico Madrid. Didn't work out for him. You know, I think all of us would you know would wish him well in his move to Atletico Madrid. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I said myself on social media, it must be very, very difficult to fail so publicly in such a high-profile club. Didn't seem like a bad guy. He scored some important goals for us. You know, I think we wish him well, don't we? Oh, but, absolutely. You know, yeah. We're kind of relieved that we've got, you know, another option coming in and, and giving it a go up front. I think, you know, he's frustrating for for any, uh, you know, fans of any club watching a, a player that you want to succeed. Yeah. Um, and like you say, I wish him the best of luck, you know. Harry's going to get on with the Atletico fans after being at Real. I don't know. Well, he was an Atletico fan as a kid, wasn't he? That's the only yeah. thing he's got. He's got posted up a picture I saw Someone's on Instagram today and he's an Atletico <laughs> kit when he was five years old. So I think that'll play well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the frustration with Morata is that he's got all the talent in the world. I think he could... It's all in his head. In terms it? of his physical attributes, his technical attributes, he could be a top five striker in, in the world. But it... 
mentally he doesn't seem to have the same mindset as the really elite goal scorers. There's yeah. no room to be an elite goal scorer if you have self-doubt. Yeah. If, you, if you hear criticism, yeah. and you know, over the 18 months he was at Chelsea, he kind of had rabbit ears for criticism. He heard it all, he took yeah. it all personally, yeah. and he, he dwelt on it. And the only way that elite goal scorers kind of pay any attention to criticism is just to motivate them. Yeah, and and it didn't. It seemed to work the other way with him, and he just went into a little sort of spiral of. He's no Diego Costa, is he? No. <laughs> Although I think Diego, uh, uh, sorry, Gonzalo Iguain has a bit of mongrel about him. He has a bit of animal in mm. him, and I think that that will play well with the Chelsea fans if he gets involved and you know and and just plays for the shirt. I think that's that's kind of all you can ask for a player like him, and he knows where the goal is. So, mm. you know, let's hope that it all works out. Right, let's do some predictions before we finish up. Got Bournemouth tomorrow night. Liam, give me a prediction. I think. Tricky one. I think Bournemouth will make them work for it, but 2-1 Chelsea. Okay. I'll say 2-0 to Chelsea. Yeah, I'm going to go 2-0 too. I think we're going to, you know, we're going to we're going to look um, you know, aggressive in that game and hopefully pin them back early doors and and uh defend well. And then we've got Huddersfield on Saturday. Uh, we'll start with you, Al. What do you want? Um I think like you said Liam, it's going to be a tough one, you know, 10 men behind the ball. Um I reckon that might be I reckon that might be 2-0 as well. Took my one. I think, um, yeah. If I, if they get an early goal, I think the game could open up and and, and Huddersfield could really struggle. So I'll I'll go three nil. Yeah, I, I'm going. I'm going to be confident on this one. I'm going to go three nil as well. I think that you know, if we get one, we'll get we'll get three. You know, that's the way I look at it. I hope right? so. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, listen, brilliant, Liam Toomey, uh, Alan Bird. Thanks so much for coming in this evening. Uh, this has been the Chelsea. We'll be back next week. Up the Chelsea. Let's hope we get a couple of good wins this week. Thank you. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.